The reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse uh, 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, just absolutely wonderful to be with you. Um, I don't know about you, but the honeymoon period of being together again hasn't worn off on me. Um, Isn't it just great to be with people again? Um, And secondly, isn't it great in a world full of such bad news to be good news people? I don't know about you, but every time I look at the news, I'm, I'm so discouraged, and yet together, we as a church are good news people. And I wonder if I might just, before I get into, into what I feel God's saying to us this morning, just infuse you and, and, and invite you to do something really important this morning. See, as Libby says, I, w- I work for the Evangelical Alliance. And um, if you're, I want to invite you, if you're not already a personal member of the Evangelical Alliance, to join us this morning. And I, I want to invite you to uh, say why that matters and, and how you can do that. Um, firstly, what, what's an evangelical? For an evangelical is a good news person in a bad news world. Evangel means good news. We believe in the Bible. We don't change the word of God to accommodate our culture. We want to see our culture transformed with the word of God. Secondly, we're Jesus people. We believe his life and his death and his resurrection was the most important moment in, the human, in human history. That he's our friend, but he's also God. Thirdly, we're people of conversion. We don't believe you don't become a Christian by accident or, or by osmosis, but there's a moment, the most important decision anyone can ever make is choosing to follow Jesus. And fourthly, we're people of activism. We want to see the world become more like the kingdom. 
That's why it was evangelicals who were at the forefront of the abolition of the slave trade. And recently that's looked like Christians Against Poverty, food banks and, uh, and street pastors. And we're an alliance of evangelicals. We are with tens of thousands of individuals, thousands of churches, one of which is P&Gs, and hundreds of organizations who unite to see do two really simple things and have done for 175 years. Firstly, we want to see every single person in the United Kingdom come to know Jesus. What gets me out of bed in the morning, what I've gone all in for, is that people might know that hope has a name and his name's Jesus. Second thing we're, we're passionate about is speaking up on behalf of good news Christians on issues that really matter at the highest levels of government, at Westminster and, and, and in the devolved parliaments. And um, an example of that during the pandemic, we've been telling the government what the amazing stuff the church has been doing. Because if we don't, who will? So all the wonderful stuff that P's and G's and the churches across the nation are doing, we've been telling those stories to government. Second thing um, is about protecting the freedoms that we have to communicate the gospel of Jesus. An example of that, a couple of years ago, there was a bill going through Parliament that would have enabled Ofsted to come into every Sunday school and youth group in the country and essentially vet what was being said. We thought that sounded more like Saudi Arabia or North Korea than the UK. So we stood up on behalf of evangelical Christians everywhere and say, this isn't on. I'm delighted to say that that bill has been kicked into touch for the time being. Isn't that good news? But our strength is only as good as the number of members we have. When the government asks us, how many people do you represent? We have to give a number. So if you're able to become a member of the Evangelical Alliance, it would really make a difference. It costs just £3 a month, which even in Edinburgh is a cost of a latte or something, isn't it? um, And if you're able to join us today, I'd love to give you three things just as a little thank you. And the first is, um, I've written a book called Storybearer, which I expressed my passion to see people be able to share their faith with their friends. This book's about how you share your faith with your friends. It, it, if, after you read this book, you'll be able to tell your story in a way that communicates what God's done in your life. You'll be able to share the good news in language that people can understand. You'll be able to pray for a few friends and you'll be, you'll be a better friend. Um, so I'd love to give you, give you a copy of that. Second thing I'd love to give you um, is some Bible studies on unity. We believe that we can be the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed, that we as the church might be one. Unity is so important to us across denominations, across streams, across ethnicities. Um, And finally, and this might swing the deal, um, I'd like to give you an EA trolley coin. I know, I know. Um, And it's got one of those detachable pound coins, which when you go to your posh supermarkets and you think, where have I got a pound coin? You can take it off, you can put it in the trolley, and at the same time you can pray that people across this nation might come to know Jesus and that the church might be united. If you're able to do so, please come and see me at the end. I've got a little table at the back. I'll give you one of these forms. You can fill in a couple of details, um, and, um, and I can give you those as a little thank you. It really would make a difference um, in strengthening the voice of Christians in this nation and helping people come to know Jesus. Please do come and see me at the end. I am... Um, it's been interesting, hasn't it, during the pandemic, how language has changed. We had unprecedented use of the word unprecedented, for example. And one of the underused phrases I felt was, was, uh, was, wasn't used enough um, was the phrase corona coaster, um, which was the, kind of which, the notion of which that some things went up during the coronavirus and other things went down. One of the things that went up was the wealth of billionaires, sickeningly. Billionaires got 54% richer during the pandemic. Isn't that terrible news? While food bank used... Food bank use increased, the corona coaster. We saw it with spiritual health. I was beautifully encouraged by the numbers who were engaging with online church. I gather you made the news at P's and G's, well done. Um, But secondly, also, I was speaking to a pastor the other day who said one of the families in his church quite enjoyed their Sunday mornings together and wouldn't be coming back for a while. Spiritual health went up and down. At the same time, um, I think this has been really true for relationships. 
And I wonder in your life whether you think about the relationships that you have, the, the corona coaster of some friendships really growing, maybe the intentional ones, and some friendships diminishing, maybe the incidental ones. And I don't know about you, I hated social distancing. I was not born to do Zoom church. I was completely Zoomed out. I missed, people's, missed seeing people in 3D. And it reminded me of a moment, actually, the 3D thing. As I, as, as, as I was on my way here, looking forward to seeing people and being in church in 3D. There was a time when I went to cinema a few years ago, and me and my mate had done it properly. I'm talking IMAX, immersive experience, 3D glasses, the lot. And as we were walking out, there were these two proper cool like, teenagers in front of us. And we were overhearing their conversation. And one turns to the other and he says, yo, yo, yo. That film was sick, which I think means good. And then the other one turns around and he goes, I know, the action, wasn't it amazing? And the 3D. And the other one turns around and he says, can you imagine if the whole world was in 3D? <laughs> and I spent a lot of the pandemic wondering what the world was like in 3D, because believe me, on Zoom church, I was absolutely giving it some in my living room, but it's not quite the same as this morning, being with you, worshiping Jesus together. Because we were created for relationship. We were created by, by a God who is relational, a God who, who even in the divine, beautiful mystery of, of the Trinity, who is a God who is even in relationship with himself. And when he makes us, he declares over his creation eight times in the account in Genesis that it is good. But you know the first thing that he says is not good? It is not good for man to be alone. I don't know about you, there are worship songs, aren't there, where you sing, and I'm sure with the best intention, worship, song, worship leaders write songs where we sing things like, all we need is Jesus. And I get the sentiments of those songs, but the truth is the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. And yet Adam was in the garden with God. We were created for a relationship. Do you know, friendship is so beneficial that studies consistently show that you can eat terribly, smoke, drink heavily, don't do any exercise, but if you've got strong friendships... You will live longer than someone who does loads of healthy stuff, but yet is isolated. It genuinely is better to eat kebabs with friends than eat lettuce on your own. <laughs> we were created for relationship. We recognize the power of that around us. And yet at the same time, we recognize the pressure that friendship is under. I'm sure you've noticed the strain of relationships in your life over the last couple of years. Do you know during covid the number of people who, who identified and said, I, I, I feel significant or always lonely, significantly or always lonely, increased from one in 20 to one in 14. There is a friendship, a relationship crisis in our world. And we suffer this, all of us, I think, internally often. We ask the question, what if people don't like me? But also externally, we're hard pressed by the, by the pressures of, of family and work and, and church and time. Time is the oxygen of friendship. And yet we're working longer hours, spending longer looking at screens, and often our screens with our social media are giving us more relationships to maintain. And this is a passage about relationship. I love that the Bible is a relational book. I love that the Bible recognizes the power of relationship. It really is not good for man to be alone. And this passage celebrates the blessing that the church in Corinth is to Paul. Verse 4, I love the tenderness and the beauty and the passion with which Paul talks about the church in Corinth. He says, I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all my troubles. My joy knows no bounds. 
but also he recognizes the challenges of life, the challenges of relationship and the threats that we face. Verse 5, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within, the internal and external pressures. And how does God comfort him? By sending a person. Verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us with the coming of Titus. My first great encouragement to you today is your very presence in someone's life might be the encouragement and the comfort that they need. I expressed earlier that the grief that I've gone through in, in the last couple of years. Do you, know, do you know what? Sometimes just people being with me. My best mate is terrible. He always wants to know what to say. Actually, the reality is he didn't have to say anything. He just had to be with me. And I wonder whether for you in, in, in your lives, you, you've recognized that at the, the hardest times. But also you can be that for others. Even Jesus recognized this. In the darkest valley of his earthly life, as he, as he goes to Gethsemane to sweat blood, as he contemplates the brutality of the cross, what does he do? He takes Peter, James, and John with him, his inner circle, his huddle, to just be with him. And do you know what? They were useless. They fell asleep. But Jesus makes the point. Jesus knew they were going to fall asleep. And yet he makes the point that he takes those closest to him with him. The presence of people makes all the difference. I, I mentioned earlier that, that during, during COVID, my mum died um, in the June of 2020. And uh, I've got to say, the church was amazing. Our, our, our kitchen looked like Clinton's cards or a moon pig showroom. Our, 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 our living room looked like a florist. We didn't have to cook a meal for two or three months. The presence of people, people's generosity and love, church when the chips are down, is amazing. Jesus is the hope of the world, and yet he is present in his people and ministers comfort and kindness through them. But what do these relationships look like? This passage, it communicates a few values that, that, that are helpful to us today in asking the question, what do these friendships, what do these great relationships look like? My, my encouragement to you today is to let the Spirit highlight one or two of these and allow them to impact your friendships. And, and I think for, for some of us today, we need to make decisions today about deepening, growing the friendships around us at this time when the whole world is looking at the spiritual and social rebuilding of our lives. So first of all, these friendships are honest. Occasionally there are times in a relationship when you need to be real and you need to be honest. In this passage, Paul reveals that there's been a severe letter that he sent previously to the church that had a quite an impact. Scholars are, are divided as to whether this is 1 Corinthians, the preceding letter, or, or the later chapters of 2 Corinthians, or an, another letter entirely. Um, but it's really clear that Paul's direct and correcting some of the problems in the church. Sometimes the voices we can hear can be a little bit too honest, can't they? My nine-year-old is, is an expert at this. The other day I was wearing shorts, and he said, Daddy, why don't you take some of the hair from your legs and put it on your head? <laughs> I reminded him that genetics is a terrible thing and to enjoy his hair while it lasted. <laughs> Sometimes there are moments where people speak truth into our lives. There are other moments when we have to be honest with others. And, and as I said to Libby, there are moments, there have been times in the last couple of years where I have not been doing well. And as well as developing rhythms that I talked about, I've had to 
reach out to friends and say, I'm really struggling, will you be with me? And there are other times where I've been out of line and, and, and my, my char- I've been acting out of character and I've needed the voice of friends to say, Phil, you need to sort yourself out. That was not appropriate behavior. Honest friendships. Secondly, we need friendships that are reconciliatory. It's clear that Paul's severe letter had an impact. But how do we respond to the voice of honesty? And how we respond is, is, is critical. Because when we're challenged, we can either have a defensive mindset or a growth mindset. We can either be combative or reconciliatory. In Paul's terms, we, we can either have worldly sorrow or godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow gets defensive. It fights back. It declares, woe is me. It hosts a pity party for one. It cancels the relationship that has done the challenging. And it gossips about that person to find new friends. It refuses to forgive. It holds on to bitterness. In the words of verse 10, it brings death. But godly sorrow is open-hearted and welcomes honesty. It echoes the proverb that faithful are the wounds of a friend. It has a growth mindset and it looks to the future of the relationship and what can be learned. Friendships are stronger because of godly sorrow. It takes an honest and humble posture towards our fragility and our brokenness and seeks reconciliation at all costs. And it produces fruit in us. Verse 11. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. I love the verses of of Paul in Romans 5 that have meant so much to me over the last couple of years, where, where he says that it's suffering that produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. It leads to repentance. The Greek for repentance in this passage, meta, noia. Meta, change, noyin, mind. It changes our mind. The growth of a disciple is constantly full of repentance, changing our mind to be more like Jesus, fixing our lives back on him, and we do so together. The truth is that the Christian life is not an individual pursuit, but it's a team game. We change together, we repent together, we grow together. This is the heart of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. The goal of our lives is to become like him, and we do so together. So these relationships are honest, they're reconciliatory. Thirdly, they're wholehearted. Verse 3, these are extraordinary words. Paul says, you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. They're all in. Deep, authentic relationships are under threat in our world. Research tells us that we have more connections than ever before. The quantity is really high, but the quality of those friendships is under threat and has diminished in recent years. The example of, a church, of the church in Corinth is of a network of relationships that is profoundly deep, not superficially shallow. And you know, Christians, we, we should be the best friends in the world. If you're a Christian here today, you should, you should be amongst the best friends in the world. We have the relational God who lives inside of us. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples, the way you love one another. Charles Spurgeon says, carve your name not on marble, but on human hearts. My encouragement to you today is to throw yourself into relationship. Finally, these relationships are invitational. It's a consistent theme throughout 2 Corinthians that, that the role that we play as Christians is inviting others into the story. And again, we do that through our friendships and our relationships, not just on our own. Chapter 3, Paul writes, you are our letter Known and read by everyone. 
Chapter 4, since we have that same spirit of faith, we also, we believe and therefore speak. Chapter 5, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we, we try to persuade others we're Christ's ambassadors. The Christian faith, the Christian community is one of invitation. And in this passage, these relationships that, that Paul is so passionate about are the vehicle through which many are receiving the invitation. I've seen this recently in the um, in most passionately worked out within my nine-year-old son. As well as being cheeky now and again about my baldness, he's also got a bit of boldness. Um, because uh, he, um, we were reading through, through lockdown that the Chronicles of Narnia, it's that classic uh, Christian parent thing to do, isn't it? And um, uh, if you've ever done this, they're a great allegory for the Christian life. And so I find myself uh, weeping now and again as kind of Aslan dies on the stone table. And Caleb says, Daddy, why are you crying about a lion? I'm like, it's not a lion, it's Jesus. And he's like, and he says, he says no, it's a lion. I'm like, never mind, tell you about it later. Tell you about it later. Anyway, halfway through lockdown, he decided he wanted to stop reading uh, The Chronicles of Narnia because my book came out. My book, by the way, came out in the worst possible week. A book can come out when all the bookshops close, but never mind. It's done surprisingly well. But Caleb wanted to read my book. I, I absolutely guarantee there was no parental pressure whatsoever. So, so I, it also was quite funny because I, um, there were some things in the book which I would prefer to wait till he was a bit older to know about, but never mind. One of the things the books encourage, encourages us to do is pray, have a list of friends who we pray for regularly to come to faith. And I think partly because Caleb wanted to delay his bedtime, he started praying for his whole class to come to faith. And so one day he comes back from school really excited and he says, Daddy, something amazing happened today. I'm like, what? He goes, Jacob became a Christian. I'm like, wow. I said, Caleb, tell me what happened. He said, well, I went up to him. And I said, Jacob, do you want to live forever? Jacob said yes. Caleb says, all right, you've got to become a Christian then. Jacob said, okay. Caleb says, all right, you're now a Christian. Now, for the record, that's not how the book says to do evangelism. <laughs> but it does show an invitational friendship. And as the church in Corinth, we can, we can learn so much from them about their honest, reconciliatory, wholehearted, invitational friendships. My final encouragement to you is that as I was reflecting on the relationships, even in the church in Corinth, we're here because of the relationships of the church in the past. That actually through the, through the relationships that were built in those churches, through those friendships, those friendships led to the invitation of others into the story and the family of God. They reckon on planet Earth today there are 2.2 billion Christians. By 2050 they reckon that's going to be 3 billion. We stand on the shoulders of giants. My encouragement to us today is not only do our relationships exist for our benefit, for our spiritual health, our emotional health, but also for the years and generations to come, we're building a legacy that lasts through our commitment to truth, through our passion for the gospel, but also for our relationships. To the shoulders broad we have clambered upon, to the voices roar that have cheered us on, to the hardened hands that have battled and fought. This is a tribute to those who have taught us, encouraged us, willed us to thrive, who've handed us the wheel when they wanted to drive. And to those who've listened to us when life has been poo, to those that we've looked at and said, I want to be like you, to the pastors and dreamcasters, intercessors and ancestors, game raisers and trailblazers, old ages and backstagers, uplifters and little gifters for the quiet words and little chats that would keep us from a backslide and the many other times we've needed a kick up the backside.
for the cups of tea and looks in the eyes, for the cheers, the beers, the tears, the years of prayer and care and battle cries. Take a two-pound coin and read it round the rim. For its inscription, indentation, sings a deeper hymn. Of the power of empowerments, the logic of alliance, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And now to those trailing in our wake. May their impact cause hell's deepest caverns to shake. And may others glide behind them in their slipstream in their time. And may your shoulders be broad enough for others to climb. So today, may you celebrate and know the power of friendship and relationship. May you know the pressure that our friendships and relationships are under. And may we throw ourselves into honest, reconciliatory, wholehearted and invitational friendships. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Just invite you to invite the Holy Spirit to highlight what you've been hearing this morning from him. Father, I thank you for the friendships that exist in this, world, in this room. Lord, at this moment in time, would you help us? And Lord, if we're to do things this week to deepen our friendships, would you help us to do that? Would you give us the wisdom, the courage, the honesty? Speak to us, I pray, this morning. Amen.